This is At the Core of Care, a podcast where people share their stories about nurses and their creative efforts to better meet the health and healthcare needs of patients, families, and communities. I'm Sarah Hexham Hubbard, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Action Coalition. And on today's show, we're taking you to the center of the debate over giving nurse practitioners full practice authority, meaning that NPs who have advanced degrees can deliver healthcare without restrictions. We only need to do the same thing that every sick patient in Pennsylvania does when faced with a health crisis. Call a nurse. Throughout the show, we'll hear from state lawmakers and nurse practitioners who've been pushing to change regulations so that NPs can give the care they were trained to provide. Under state law, they have reduced practice authority, not full. We're going to hear about how consumer access to quality primary care has been affected by restrictions on practice and the costly requirements for collaborative agreements with physicians. But first, we're gonna dive into some of the latest trends around the role nurse practitioners play in primary care and hear from this researcher who's studied the issue on a national scale. My name is Peter Bierhaus. I'm a professor of nursing at Montana State University uh, College of Nursing, and I also direct the Center for Interdisciplinary Health Workforce Studies. Peter started out working as a nurse and eventually became a healthcare economist. In 2010, the Obama administration tapped Peter to lead the National Healthcare Workforce Commission, which the Affordable Care Act created to give policy advice to the federal government. They were hearing about shortages of physicians. There was um, government reports suggesting there were inadequate access to primary care. They wondered about nurse practitioners. Were they potentially an answer to this problem? What was the quality of care? How much did they cost? So they wanted to know a lot more about primary care and particularly the role of nurse practitioners. And so that was what stimulated me to then develop a new research team to take on the quality aspects of nurse practitioners. Nine years later, the commission remains unfunded, and it still hasn't met. Yet the same issues persist, and Peter and his economic team have continued their research. In the fall of 2018, Peter actually released a study for the American Enterprise Institute about nurse practitioners as a solution to the primary care crisis. The researchers combed through thousands of Medicare claims, as well as doctor and nurse practitioner survey responses. Some of their findings were alarming. Things are worsening, not getting better. The numbers of people in this country without adequate access to primary care have been rising, not getting better. The number of physicians, the shortages of physicians, both in primary care and non-primary care, have worsened the projections between now and 2030. They've not improved. And so growing numbers of people without access to good primary care and physician shortages are what we're looking at. There are more than 800,000 board-certified physicians currently in the United States, slightly less than 250 per 100,000 people. Nearly 250,000 American doctors specialize in primary care, but that number stands to dwindle given the latest trends. According to the American Association of Medical Colleges Center for Workforce Studies, a significant share of specialists are approaching retirement, and primary care is one of the least popular focus areas among medical students. 
When you compare Pennsylvania to national trends, the situation is a bit better. The state's doctor-to-patient ratio is stronger at more than 300 per 100,000. And medical residents in Pennsylvania choose primary care as a specialty at higher rates than all but four other states, according to the AAMC data. Still, the Commonwealth's resident retention rate is lower than most other states, and its primary care doctor-to-patient ratio is also not quite as good. Pennsylvania's population is also older and aging faster than the nation as a whole, so its increasing healthcare needs, along with physician retirements, can be expected to have a more dramatic compounding effect. The outlook is particularly grim in rural areas, as Peter explains. When you look further, you find that many physicians, the majority are located in urban and metropolitan areas, and the areas where there are greater needs are in rural, particularly rural populations, and the supply of physicians is shrinking in those areas as well. So we have more people in rural areas with greater needs. But Peter's team also found that nurse practitioners can, in fact, be part of the solution. In the United States today, there are more than 270,000 licensed nurse practitioners, more than double the number in 2010, and more than three times as many as were practicing in 1999. So the field has grown significantly over the past 20 years. It's more than tripled. More than 80% of NPs, 87% to be exact, are certified in primary care. And the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners reports that seven of 10 NPs actually deliver primary care. Certification is a credential on top of the baseline requirements, which include a master's or doctoral degree, state license, national board certification, graduate nursing education, registered nurse license, and a bachelor's degree in nursing, in addition to thousands of hours of clinical practice. And nurse practitioners who are providing primary care are far more likely to be working in these rural areas than our physicians. Plus, NPs tend to treat vulnerable populations at a higher frequency than doctors. It's a finding that we have discovered, and it's been repeated, no matter what type of data that we were using, both survey research data and looking at the Medicare claims data, we find that nurse practitioners are more likely, statistically significantly more likely than our physicians to be taking care of vulnerable populations, women, non-whites, American Indians, the poor, the disabled, and those that are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. Peter's study also documents higher quality of care provided by nurse practitioners and at a lower cost, about 15% less on average. But potential benefits for the public good remain limited in most states because of bureaucratic red tape. And what we found is that states that restricted the practice of nurse practitioners, about 34% of the population that lived in those restrictive states they had good access to what we called high-capacity primary care, where there was enough capacity to take on the newly insured. Now, in states that had full practice authority, in other words, removed the restrictions from nurse practitioners, people living in those states, 63% of them had access to high-capacity primary care. So they had double the capacity of the primary care workforce 
in those states that did not restrict nurse practitioners. Meaning when you open up states, in, in other words, you remove these restrictions, people's access to primary care will increase as nurse practitioners then move into those states. Like others before it, the American Enterprise Institute study found fewer NPs and lower rates of access to care in limited practicing authority states. And in the footnotes, Peter lists prior studies with findings that he and his team replicated. Some states appear to have read these memos and modernized their laws, granting NPs full practice authority. But restrictions are still the norm in the majority of states, including Pennsylvania, despite having the largest rural population after Texas and North Carolina. Pennsylvania is one of 16 states with reduced practice, a group that also includes all of the Commonwealth's neighboring states, except Maryland, where MPs do have full practice authority. And then another 12 states have restricted practice authority, which basically means even more limitations and oversight. As part of the work that my colleagues and I do through the National Nurse-Led Care Consortium, we've been following how scope of practice issues are playing out across the country especially my colleague, Cheryl Fatubene. She's the Chief Nurse Practitioner Officer for the National Nurse-Led Care Consortium. Well, I think it's pretty simple. I think there's an increased need for healthcare, particularly primary care access has been an issue. And we're finding that nurse practitioners have filled that spot for many years. I myself have mostly worked in places either rural or underserved where it was difficult to get in physician support. Cheryl started practicing three decades ago and interviewed various healthcare professionals to figure out which area she should go into. The reason that I chose nursing over medicine is the approach to healthcare. It felt more holistic. It felt more inclusive of family and community and not just what was going on with the patient. So that was why I personally chose that. The model of care was modeled after nursing, and that's what I preferred. Not a medical approach where it's a disease-oriented approach to healthcare, but actually focusing on the person. More recently, Cheryl's been working to change nursing laws in Pennsylvania, where bills have been introduced in both chambers of the state legislature every session since 2015. I've told my colleagues and friends that I would like it to be done in my lifetime. There's no reason for that not to happen in this state and for us to modernize our healthcare system to meet the needs of Pennsylvanians. So I don't know what we're waiting for, frankly. I really just don't. In Pennsylvania, NPs are fully equipped to act as primary care providers. They can prescribe medicine, order tests, assess and diagnose patients, make referrals, but only if they have something called a collaborative agreement with at least two physicians. While collaboration is inherent in the holistic approach that nurse practitioners take, NPs must have a legal agreement in place in order to renew their state license, along with paying fees to the State Board of Nursing. That's on top of the litany of licensing costs, which can already work out to hundreds of dollars per year, depending on which licenses are up for renewal. Some physicians also charge NPs a fee to collaborate, and there don't appear to be caps or other standards for the amount. We checked in with the Pennsylvania Coalition of Nurse Practitioners to better understand how these agreements work. They also told us there is little transparency regarding the actual monetary amounts and any details surrounding the compensation. Physicians linked with a health network or health system are usually compensated for these collaborative agreements. And for nurse practitioners practicing outside of a health system, it's even harder to find information. But studies have shown those agreements increase healthcare costs without improving quality of care. 
That holds true in Pennsylvania, according to the Federal Trade Commission. After citing its own state-by-state analysis, the FTC has recommended getting rid of the agreements in Pennsylvania because they hamper competition without benefiting consumers. You know, we live in a part of the state here in Philadelphia where there's easy access to health care. Same thing with Pittsburgh. But when you go into the middle areas of the state, there are many communities that do not have any health care services for 35 to 50 or even 100 miles. There are nurse practitioners that want to work there, have been working there, and cannot work there because of the costs associated with having this supervision and collaboration that we have to pay for. So it's an access issue. The proposed legislation wouldn't completely eliminate the agreements, but they'd be limited. Nurse practitioners would need an agreement with a minimum of one doctor, instead of two, within the NP's designated practice areas. The agreement would have to be in place for three years, enough time for 3,600 supervised hours with the collaborative physician. After that, nurse practitioners could practice fully within their designated practice areas. A 2015 analysis by Duke University Law School concluded that if lawmakers approve full practice authority, then Pennsylvanians could potentially save more than $6 billion in medical costs over the next decade, while also increasing the number of NPs and improving the patient-to-nurse practitioner ratio and access to quality care. Researchers have predicted the increase would be relatively uniform across the state, including rural counties where there's an especially worrisome outlook for access to good medical care. Many lawmakers across Pennsylvania represent rural areas, enough that this legislation seems like it should sail through to become law, and yet it hasn't. Since 2015, the state Senate has gotten behind the measure, but the House of Representatives has not. Cheryl says she testified in front of the House Professional Licensure Committee during the 2017-2018 session. Where it got stuck was in committee, where the head of the committee was not willing to bring it out for a vote. So we went and testified to the committee members to answer questions that they had or may have had, and we got overwhelming support from the committee members, and it was still not brought out. For a House vote. So that was why it died. It essentially died in committee. Those lawmakers who previously headed the Professional Licensure Committee are no longer in office, and there's a new committee chair. Representative Jesse Topper, a Republican, has spent the past few years trying to get the legislation out of committee and voted on by the full House. That committee has turned over three chairs in three sessions. So every time there's a new chairman, there's a new education process, they bring their own thoughts about the issue to the table, and that can be difficult sometimes. And we're in our third new chairman in as many sessions, and so we've kind of had to re-kickstart that process again, just being able to get a vote out of that committee and seeing if we can get the members on that committee to send it to the full floor. Topper represents the state's 78th district, close to the Maryland line. And he says his district has seen the number of family physicians decline, and he thinks NPs could be part of the solution. Let's find ways to work together to make sure that everybody we have that has been trained in the medical community at any level is being allowed to use that training to benefit the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and benefit our constituents, especially in underserved and impoverished areas. Representative Topper says his approach is objective. He's been looking at state data as part of his role on the State Board of Nursing since being appointed by former Governor Tom Corbett. He was tasked with looking at problems around health care and possible solutions. 
As far as my interest in advanced nurse practitioners, it started really when I was uh, appointed to the Board of Nursing by then-Governor Corbett as a public member. I didn't have any family members who were nurses, or I myself didn't have any particular connection to nurses, but as a public member, they needed an objective person to sit on the board and look at licensing issues and disciplinary issues. The governor selected me, and that's when I started to learn. I'll be honest, before that time, a nurse was a nurse was a nurse. I didn't know the difference between an LPN and a CRNP and an RN. So it was a very educational experience for me and just allowed me to see some of the things that I believe could be done to improve accessibility and and affordability in the healthcare space. And this is one of those items. And he grew up around medicine as his grandfather was a physician. But after studying the data, Topper thinks full practice authority is common sense, nothing to do with being against doctors. My goal is to remove the collaborative agreements. However, I've said in attempts to work with the medical society, look, if this is not a moneymaker as you contend, if this is all about patient safety, well, then let's make the collaborative agreements free. You know, that doesn't seem to be an issue that's got much traction with them, which brings me to my point that I think it is a little bit of a moneymaker. But Topper says money is a factor complicating attempts to pass full practice authority in Pennsylvania. I think the medical society and the physician groups that have opposed this have kind of painted this parade of horribles that will happen if this is, you know, allowed to be. And I think that has been very strong in influencing certain members of the General Assembly. I mean, I've pointed to the states that have removed these restrictions, and we haven't seen that parade of horribles that has been uh, laid out. The idea that there's going to be you know, these nurse practitioners essentially advertising themselves as doctors and the public being duped. And and look, that's not what we've seen. In fact, we've seen uh, in the states that this has been done, and we certainly wouldn't be anywhere near the first to do it. We've actually seen improved healthcare satisfaction from clients and from consumers. So I think it's going to have to be put in place for people to see that, look, this isn't you know, as bad. But the other side has certainly come in with heavy lobbying and heavy opposition against it. And I think they've painted a picture that's not completely what would happen. It's a different story in the state Senate, where there's been broader support for full practice authority and bills have passed every session since 2015. State Senator Camera Bartolotta has been one of the main backers. She embraced the issue at the urging of former state Senator Pat Vance, a fellow Republican and former nurse. And she has also gotten to know Mona Counts, who lived in her district. Counts passed away in the spring of 2019 and she was considered a pioneer among nurse practitioners for having created one of the first rural-based practices in the United States. Bartolotta herself also consults with a nurse practitioner, so she's supportive of getting more NPs into primary care, given some of the challenges around access to health care and available providers. Here she is rallying with the Pennsylvania Coalition of Nurse Practitioners at the State House. Unfortunately, this is an area in which we're failing as a commonwealth. We've made strides towards improving health care coverage in this state, but too many Pennsylvanians face long wait times for appointments and long travel times to meet with specialists if they can find someone willing to accept new patients at all. Right? We have passed new laws to fight against the scourge of the statewide opioid epidemic, but too many patients still lack the services that they so desperately need to beat their addiction once and for all. We've worked to stem the tide of older doctors retiring and too few new doctors coming in to replace them. But that trend continues 
unabated, leaving many patients without even the basic services they need to promote good health. We've tried every other way, and we have failed to deliver the results that Pennsylvanians deserve. It is with our power to reverse all of these trends and promote a stronger health system, more access to critical services, and better quality of care. Bartolotto is confident that the state Senate will again get behind the bill for full practice authority. Thankfully, we are making progress in that fight. The good news is the Senate overwhelmingly passed a bill establishing full practice authority for nurse practitioners during the last legislative session. And already this year, the Senate Consumer Protection and Professional Licensure Committee endorsed similar legislation, and there is hope that the full Senate will pass that bill in the weeks ahead. As for her colleagues in the House of Representatives, Bartolotta is hopeful that this year, the new chair of the Professional Licensure Committee will get the bill to a full floor vote. When we visited the State House, we also spoke with several longtime nurse practitioners who were there to lobby and rally, including Roxanne Altimus from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and I work in a community mental health program in an underserved area. Johnstown has very few psychiatrists. They can't keep them. Um, some of the clinics that we have share doctors, and um, we do a lot at telepsych because we don't have psychiatrists. Recently, the hospital that we worked at had lost all of their psychiatrists, and we're using locum tenens. They now have some permanent physicians on. Hopefully they'll stay, but it doesn't seem like they stay in that area very long. So without those doctors signing our collaborative agreement, we can't do our job. We have one doctor in our office. He's part-time because he works in other offices. Roxanne doesn't pay a fee for her collaborative agreements, but when those doctors aren't available, she consults with other doctors. I will continue to practice the way I do, and I'll continue to reach out to them whether I have a collaborative agreement or not, because I want to do what's in the best interest of my patient, and I want them to get well. Given the workload Roxanne describes, it seems like she doesn't have time to wait. My patient load is probably 30 or more a week, patients that we see. We average 10 new psychiatric evals a week. And that's because we put a limit on it, because it, that we're getting too much that we were like feeling very overwhelmed and burned out easy. So we agreed that we would only see two new evals a day. So that's like 10 a week. And we've been getting them. And, and I know other facilities in the area have a waiting list. Like, there's some that they have to wait until June to get in. It sounds demanding and daunting, but Roxanne remains passionate about the line of work she chose 40 years ago. I started out as a nurse aide, and then went back to school as a nurse, worked as a nurse for a while, and then went back for a nurse practitioner. So I've been on all levels of the mental health nursing aspect of it. We also talked to the Pennsylvania Coalition of Nurse Practitioners Secretary, Lynn Phillips, a family nurse practitioner from Bethlehem. She got into the profession more than 25 years ago. So when I was a college entry student, I went for my pre-entry physical to my family doctor's office and a nurse practitioner did my physical. And it was just different. Like She talked to me just in a different manner and asked me all about prevention and promoting health. And I just felt 
a connection. So I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. I went to Temple and I changed my major my second year to nursing. And I knew I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. Lynn says she hears some of the same thoughts and feelings when her patients provide feedback. Patients say to me what I said about this nurse practitioner that I saw when I was 18 years old and said it was just different. I felt different. I felt comfortable. I felt open and free and listened to. And it's not that I didn't before, but not in the same manner. There was a different type of care. So I think that that's what I do with patients is that I really listen to them, not that other providers don't. And I take the time and I might get behind. I definitely get behind, but I take the time that each person needs when I can, you know. And I think that that's what I tell patients. They've said things. I don't know what it is about you. That's what they say to me. I don't know what it is about you, but I just had to come back. Like, I, or I had to see. And I'm like, it's because I'm a nurse. That's what I say every time. That's it. It's because I'm a nurse. That's why. That's why you're coming back. You like nursing. Some people really prefer medicine, you know. And she says her patients are set up to get the best care when they have access to treatment involving an entire team. A social worker, a nurse practitioner, a physician, you know, if they choose and or want one, an RN, a psychologist, you know, health coaches. So it's just the more of us, the better. Lynn says she's grateful that her small practice is well-staffed enough that she gets to spend twice as much time with patients right now compared to other points in her career. And she feels supported by her physician colleagues. They've been working together for many years. They're very respectful, and I think that they've always demonstrated to me that they valued what I did there, and I think that I'm very fortunate. And Cheryl Fatibene, who we heard from earlier, has had a similar experience. You find nurse practitioners in places we had never seen us working before, but it's become better understood. There's good relationships. I've always had excellent relationships with the physicians that I've worked with, always. I consider them colleagues. They consult with me. I consult with them. It's what we do. It's what good health care looks like, and it shouldn't be legislated, and I shouldn't have to pay for it. This brings us back to the questions surrounding why doctors object to full practice authority for NPs. Peter Bierhaus's study showed they don't. More than three-quarters of doctors surveyed support it, but the survey consisted of more than one question, and responses to the others were mixed and create a somewhat confused picture. So, for example, even though 77% of physicians think there shouldn't be any scope of practice limitations for NPs, two-thirds don't think that would improve the quality of care for patients. I think that physicians, first of all, are not reading the literature with regard to nurse practitioners. There are hundreds of studies. Some of them are in journals such as the New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of the American Medical Association. There are randomized control studies, etc. But this is not sort of on the reading list of physicians. And so what they often will do when they hear somebody stand up and say, hey, here's a study, or here's several studies, or here's a whole collection of hundreds of studies showing these results, their view oftentimes is one of disbelief. This can't be. This is fake news. I've never heard or seen these studies. So there's a big sort of gap in understanding of what the literature shows. It doesn't occur by accident. The professional organizations that some physicians belong to. And some of these organizations, they're not interested in removing the scope of practice restrictions. They don't go about making these studies available for physicians to look at and read. 
And so physicians are just very much sort of in the blind about what this must mean, and they react with disbelief. They also react in a sense of, well, if the NPs, the nurse practitioners, have full scope of practice in my state, I will lose. If the NPs win, I will lose. The majority of responding doctors in Peter's study also believe that expanding practice authority or increasing the number of NPs could adversely affect their livelihood. But Peter says whether that happens really depends on how you go about it. If you were to change those scope of practice restrictions, you would promote a dialogue between physicians and nurse practitioners to sit down and talk and hear what are the fears that each other have, what is the knowledge that they have, what are their attitudes towards each other, and start to work through those issues such that we begin to trust each other and maybe even adopt a different view of the world, one that is about focusing on what are the needs of the patient population and asking each other, what can I bring to the table to address them? Respect that and allow physicians to do what they do best and allow nurse practitioners to do what they do best, working together for the benefit. So I think you need a vision about what you want. And I'm sort of suggesting what we would want is a workforce that's much more focused on providing care for people versus taking care of their own self-interests. And the way he sees it, there's been so much time lost already catering to those interests, despite the evidence and in the face of provider shortages and barriers to access. I just feel that the question is, how long will we have these struggles? I mean, the longer that states take to remove these restrictions, the longer it is that people will have inadequate access to primary care. And these delays in access mean that people, their conditions are likely to worsen. And as they worsen, then they become more costly when they eventually do get help. And all of this is avoidable. It's not as if if you change the scope of practice restrictions overnight, you'll have a flood of new NPs. But over time, you will create an environment where more nurse practitioners will be in the state. There's plenty of work to be done. It's not really you win, I lose. It's really how do we all win together for the benefit of the population. Special thanks to Cheryl Fatibene, Peter Bierhaus, Lynn Phillips, Roxanne Altimus, Pennsylvania State Senator Camera Bartolotta, and Pennsylvania Representative Jesse Topper for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you also to the Pennsylvania Coalition of Nurse Practitioners, the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners, and the National Nurse-Led Care Consortium, a subsidiary of Public Health Management Corporation. Funding for this podcast comes from the Center to Champion Nursing in America, which is a joint initiative of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, AARP, and AARP Foundation, along with the Pennsylvania Action Coalition. For more about us and our programs, visit us online at paactioncoalition.org. And you can follow us on social media at PA Action. Stephanie Marudas of Kuvinda Media is our producer, and I'm Sarah Hexham Hubbard of the Pennsylvania Action Coalition. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.